Good morning, church family. He is risen. Uh, we can do better than that. He is risen. He has risen. Amen, church. And a happy Resurrection Sunday to you all. It is so wonderful to see so many of you in person this year, as opposed to having to record a sermon in front of an empty sanctuary and send it out like last year. Thus, I am excited, church, to share with you an Easter sermon to all of you in person, because there is no greater message in the world to share than that of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet we live in a society where there seems to be a real lack of understanding concerning the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I read a joke this week about a pastor who during the Easter service gathered all of his children and all of the children of the church together for a brief Easter message. And the pastor began by asking the children, what do we celebrate on Easter? And one little girl spoke up and said, we remember our mothers on Easter and how much we love them. To which the pastor replied, no, you're thinking about Mother's Day. And then an eager little boy yelled out, Easter is a time when we say thank you to God for all of the good things in our lives. And again, the pastor replied, no, you're thinking about Thanksgiving, not Easter. But finally, after a few seconds of awkward silence, another little girl in a fancy Easter dress said, Easter is the day when we remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried in a tomb, and on Easter morning, God rolled the stone away, and Jesus came out of the tomb. And the relieved pastor cried out to the little girl, Yes, excellent! To which the little girl replied, But then Jesus looked up and saw the shadow, so he went back into the tomb because there were six more weeks of winter. It is a funny joke. However, it leads to the question, what exactly is your understanding concerning the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because a proper an intimate and accurate understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it naturally leads to a confidence that Jesus is truly the Son of God and a commitment to Him as Lord. However, a faulty and self-centered and arrogant approach or understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, well, quite simply, that naturally leads us to placing our faith in ourselves and not in the one who can truly save And thus our text this morning, it is going to come from a familiar author, that being the Apostle John. However, we will not be in any of his epistles this morning, church. Instead, we will be in his gospel. As this morning, we will be looking at the gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 24 through 31, where we will see a very interesting interaction take place, an interaction between a disciple of Jesus, a man named Thomas, and Jesus Christ himself. However, before we get to this interaction, let me first give you all a little background on the text this morning. So Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Son of God, the Messiah, and the Savior of the world, at this point in the text, he has been crucified. For he was nailed to a cross at Calvary and died a sinner's death and was buried, meaning he was placed in a tomb a tomb which was owned by a rich man and a follower of Jesus named Joseph of Arimathea. 
And as we see in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 27, that after the deceased Jesus was placed in the tomb, the tomb was then secured by a sealing of the stone in front of it and a setting of a guard, or a guard of soldiers who would make the tomb as secure as possible in order to make sure that no one stole the body of Jesus Christ and thus made the claim that Jesus erroneously rose from the dead. However, three days after the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ, a group of women went to see the tomb. But behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And it goes on to read in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28 that the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And thus throughout this Resurrection Sunday, the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he proceeded to appear to numerous people on this day. For he appeared to the women who went to the tomb in Matthew 28. He appeared to Mary Magdalene in John 20. He appeared to Peter in Luke 24. For Jesus, he even appeared to a man named Cleopas and another disciple who were on a seven-mile stroll to Emmaus in Luke 24. For the resurrected Jesus Christ, he was out and about on this first Resurrection Sunday church. However, at the end of that day... Jesus, he then appeared in the flesh before his disciples. However, for one reason or another, the disciple Thomas was not present with them at this time, which is where our text will pick up this morning, and which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this church. Saving faith is faith only in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Saving faith is faith only in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As at this time, church, please open your Bibles up to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Now, if you are visiting with us this morning on this Easter Sunday and do not own a Bible... Please know that is okay, because there is a Bible with your name on it located in the chairs in front of you, which is our gift to you this morning. The only thing that we ask is that you read it, beginning today by turning to page 907 and joining us as we hear, as we as a church family, hear the word of God together this morning. Again, church, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Verses 24 through 31, where the Apostle John, he writes, Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ the perfect Son of God who has come into the world, lived the life that we never could, died the death we never could, and rose from the grave, triumphed over sin, conquered death as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And Father, because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, so too can we through eternity. Father Jesus Christ, he is the one who is our hope, our confidence, our victor. He is our eternal life. The only one that provides life is Jesus Christ. Father, as we approach this text this morning, let us come with a spirit of faith, a spirit of readiness, not a spirit of hard-heartedness, not a spirit where we need our senses to be appeased, but a spirit of of faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. Spirit, I pray that you soften these hearts this morning. If there's anyone here this morning who does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, call them to yourself, we pray. Strengthen the confidence of the believers here as well, Lord. I pray you give me The words to speak this morning, let them be bold, let them be confident in your word, God, let them be humble, and I pray above all else that they be true, that this dear congregation leaves here today in all of the God that they serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this, point number one. Doubting the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a virtue. Doubting the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a virtue. Verses 24 and 25. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Church, we are currently living in a postmodern world where, quite honestly, to doubt or to question that we can really know anything, that is seen now as virtuous or as honorable. And yet this virtue of doubt, if you will, in which our culture currently embraces, it is certainly not something that is new. For as Josh McDowell shared, there once was a group of explorers who went to Australia. And while the explorers were there, they discovered a unique animal, a mammal, which laid eggs, spent some time in the water, some time on the land, 
It had a broad, flat tail, webbed feet, and a bill similar to a duck. And thus, upon their return to England, they told the populace of this. However, all felt, despite the testimony of all the explorers, that it was a hoax. Therefore, the explorers returned to Australia, and this time found and brought back a pelt from this most unusual animal. But again, the people still rejected its existence. In spite of the credible testimonies, in spite of the evidence sitting right under their nose, they disbelieved that the platypus was a real animal because they could not see it. Now, as we see from the text today, Thomas, who was one of Jesus' twelve disciples, verse 24, he was not with them when Jesus came. Meaning that Thomas was not with the other disciples of Jesus when Jesus incredibly showed up in their midst on that first resurrection Sunday. And thus you can just imagine, church, how excited and how exhilarated and how enthusiastic these disciples must have been to go and tell Thomas, verse 25, that we have seen the Lord. To go and tell Thomas that Jesus, that he's somehow like actually living, like in the flesh, walking and talking and breathing and seeing, no longer dead or buried, breathless or lifeless, stiff or cold, deceased or gone, but that in Instead, Jesus, that he is now alive. For this was the glorious message that the disciples of Jesus brought to Thomas. And thus keep in mind here, church, that as groundbreaking and as earth-shattering and as revolutionary as this testimony was, this testimony, it wasn't coming to Thomas from some crazies who Thomas just randomly met on the street. Nor was it coming from people who Thomas didn't know or from people who Thomas didn't trust. But this testimony that Thomas was receiving here, it was coming from men who were like brothers to him, who had faithfully followed Jesus for three years with him, and who, like him, knew that Jesus was crucified and died on a cross at Calvary, and yet they are now coming to him, and all of a sudden claiming that this man named Jesus, that he is somehow alive. That this man named Jesus, who turned water into wine, who calmed the storm, and who fed the 5,000 is somehow alive. That this man named Jesus who walked on water, gave sight to the blind, and raised Lazarus from the dead is somehow alive. That this man named Jesus, who he himself declared would suffer many things and be killed and after three days rise again, that he is now somehow alive. And you can just see it, church. The wheels inside of Thomas's head just turning as he's trying to make sense of it all. The miracles that he saw Jesus do, the words that he heard Jesus say, and now the testimony that he is receiving from this band of excited and exhilarated and enthusiastic disciples who are waiting in his midst, bated breath, to now hear his response. And it's as if in the midst of it all that Thomas that he suddenly just starts shaking his head. As if the idea of a resurrected Jesus, the idea that Jesus is now somehow alive and walking and talking, that it's just too much for even Thomas to believe. That the evidence, it just doesn't add up. That the words of Jesus just can't be true. That the testimony of these disciples anywhere, somewhere, must be mistaken or erroneous or untrue. For Thomas responds to the disciples in verse 25 with, I'm 
unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And this church is what the reformer John Calvin calls a sensual judgment or a decision based on the perceptions of one's senses. For this is what happens when people are devoted to themselves and only have faith in themselves. For they leave no room for God. That unless Thomas receives the evidence demanded of him, needed to appease his senses, that unless he sees Jesus in the flesh and touches Jesus' very nail-pierced hands in the flesh, he declares to the disciples that he will never believe. And make no mistake here, church, God, as Andreas Kosenberger points out, he does not welcome a demanding attitude that places conditions upon him. And thus these words from Thomas here, because they approach the resurrection of Jesus Christ with absolutely no sense of faith, Calvin concludes they are thus then not to be celebrated. Therefore, church, what is the honest condition of your heart this morning as you approach the resurrection of Jesus Christ? For are you approaching the resurrection in faith this morning, in the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen? Are you approaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ with a spirit of doubt, with a spirit of demands, with a spirit of unbelief, where you desire to place your trust in only yourself and in only your senses? For your answer to that question, church, it is of the utmost importance this morning. And I say that because, point number two, eternally blessed are those who have not seen the resurrected Jesus Christ, and yet have still believed. Eternally blessed are those who have not seen the resurrected Jesus Christ, and yet have still believed. Verses 26 through 29. John writes, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now as we see here in verse 26, it says, eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Now, I just want to take a moment to briefly point out the trustworthiness of the Scriptures. Because notice the details here in verse 26. For the Apostle John does not write merely a couple days later, or maybe a week later, or perhaps some time after this. No, instead notice how exact and how precise the Apostle John is. And also notice that he is using the common vernacular, or the the typical Jewish custom, to also count the present day when calculating the total amount of days until Jesus arrived again. 
And thus the Apostle John, in essence, is saying here that the following Sunday, verse 26, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. That the resurrected Jesus Christ again showed up on the scene in the presence of his disciples. However, this time, the disciple Thomas, he was present. Now, most commentators believe that the reason why Jesus showed up again this second time was most likely just for Thomas, for the one who said, I will never believe that Jesus, the man who was beaten and flogged, mocked with a crown of thorns, nailed to a cross and was crucified, died and was buried, I will never believe that he is alive unless, 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 and here it is again, church, the Thomas challenge that unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And thus Jesus shows up on the scene and in essence says to Thomas, challenge accepted. For Jesus says to Thomas in verse 27, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now we have no idea here, church, whether or not Thomas actually placed his finger into the mark of the nails or placed his hand into Jesus' side, for it does not say. However, what it does say is that Thomas answered Jesus with, My Lord and my God. For Thomas confesses here, church, that this Jesus isn't just some good man or some divinely inspired being. That this Jesus isn't just some moral teacher or miracle maker who can heal the sick, give sight to the blind, and get after it intellectually with the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees. But that this man named Jesus is truly God in the flesh. That he is my Lord and my God and the only one who can take away the sins of the world. And thus Jesus responds to him in verse 29 with, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now please take note here, church, that despite the unbelief that Thomas exhibited earlier and the conditions that Thomas demanded earlier, Jesus Christ in his mercy, he does not berate Thomas here. He does not scold Thomas here. He does not vilify or slander or verbally abuse Thomas here for his past unbelief. Instead, Jesus, he turns his attention here to those who will need to believe in him without having the empirical evidence of seeing the Christ in his resurrected state. Meaning, he's talking about us, church. About those who will not have the same experience as Thomas. About those who will not have the same experience as all the other disciples. About those who will not have the same experience as the other 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ in the flesh. And thus, as D.A. Carson puts it, blessed are those who do not share in Thomas's experience of seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ, 
but who in part because they have heard and read of Thomas' testimony have come to share in the same faith as him. And thus, church, having read here the testimony of Thomas, having read here the inspired words of the Apostle John, having read here the very revelation of God himself, do you this morning hold to the confession that Jesus is your Lord and your God? Or to put it another way, are you believing and trusting and placing your faith in a Savior who bears the visible scars upon his hands? The late H.A. Ironside shared this story, church. He wrote, some years ago, a woman who was baptized as a Roman Catholic was lying very ill in a city hospital. And fearing that she would die soon, she was in great distress of mind because of the weight of her sins pressing down on her guilty conscience. However, a sweet-faced nun passing through the ward was called to her bedside. And she told the nun her her story of years of sin and shame. And thus the nun promised to get her in touch with the parish priest as soon as possible, so he might hear her confession and administer to her the last rites of the church. However, in the meantime, a Christian lady was visiting the patients as well, and came to the woman's bed and found her very ready to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ, a message free and full of salvation offered only through a crucified and risen Savior. And eagerly, the poor and distressed woman drank in the living water and came to Christ confessing her sins and was soon rejoicing in the knowledge of forgiveness and being reconciled back to God forever. And thus, when the priest arrived, he found her as happy now as she had been miserable earlier. Nevertheless, he at once began to make preparations to hear her confession and then to administer to her the last sacraments of the church. So he asked her to make a good confession so that he might absolve her from all of her sins and so prepare her for death. However, she looked up earnestly at him and said, Let me see your hands first. Now, in order to humor her, the priest, he held out his hands. And she took them in hers and felt them carefully. Then she exclaimed to him, Oh, I am sorry, but these will not do, Father, for the hands of the one who forgave me of all of my sins has scars upon them. Make no mistake, church. If you do not have an advocate who can advocate for you before God the Father, then you do not have a Savior. For if you do not have a deliverer who can deliver you from the wrath of God, then you do not have a savior. For if you do not have the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then you do not have a savior. For if you do not have the good shepherd who willingly laid down his life for his sheep, then you don't have a savior. For if you don't have a redeemer who can redeem you from the bondage of sin, then you don't have a savior. For if you don't have the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the word, the door, the rock, the victorious one, the 
light of the world, the Lion of Judah, and the only one who can truly set you free, then you don't have a Savior. For if you don't have the Christ, the only one who died and rose again, then you don't have a Savior. Instead, you have a fraud. For there is only one who took on the sins of the world, only one who died for the sins of the world, and only one who on the third day was raised and conquered the sins of the world, and his name is Jesus Christ. For he and he alone purchased by his blood a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, and will raise them with him to endless life. And since Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the Lord and the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, and the risen Savior of the world, then blessed are those, church. Redeemed are those. Eternally saved are those who have not seen the resurrected Jesus Christ and yet have still believed. Thus, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning, church? Do you this morning believe? Now, as we close this morning, I will begin with the non-Christian who is here first. And non-Christian, John closes chapter 20 in his gospel with this. For he writes, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In essence, John has offered his gospel, this record of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So that you may believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, the Messiah, the anointed of God, and the Savior of the world, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. For that is John's goal here in his gospel. That you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and thus have life life and have it abundantly because non-christian outside of jesus christ there is no life for outside of jesus christ we are dead in our trespasses and sins and the ways we once walked as we followed after the course of this world and thus the only way we could receive life receive abundant life was for jesus christ to enter into the world and to save us from our sins therefore Jesus Christ, he did just that. For Jesus Christ came into the world as truly God and as truly man. And although he was tempted with sin, just like you and I, Jesus Christ, he never fell victim to sin. For Jesus Christ, he lived a life that was perfect and blameless and righteous, and he fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely for the children of God. However, fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law was not in and of itself enough for us to be reconciled back to God forever. For Jesus Christ also had to pay the price for our breaking of the law. And the price of our sin, non-Christian, the wage of our sin, non-Christian, it is that of death. And thus Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
For Jesus was violently nailed to a cross at Calvary as our substitute. Died a sinner's death in our place. The righteous son of God dying for the unrighteous. And non-Christian as Jesus yielded up his spirit on that cross. Giving up his life on our behalf on that cross. The curtain of the temple, it was torn in two. For Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, it appeased the wrath of a holy God toward the sins of his children. Thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, church, he rose from the dead. For he conquered sin and was victorious over death and now offers life. Perfect, eternal, abundant, never-ending, never-fading, always and forever, life in the presence of God to all who place their trust in him. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. Let today be the day, non-Christian, that you believe in the one who died for your sins, who was buried and who on the third day rose from the dead Also, you could be forgiven of your sins and reconciled back into fellowship with God forever. Therefore, let this be the day, non-Christian, Resurrection Sunday 2021, that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, calling on him as your Lord and your God, and thus receive the gift of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here this morning, Faith Bible Fellowship Church, the last time I visited with our brother Bert Chowza, the day before he went home to be with the Lord, we were talking about what else, the church, and about really what differentiates us as a church body. And I made a comment about how we as a church body are unapologetic in the fact that we preach and we believe Christ crucified. Alluding to Paul's words to the church in Corinth, for I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. To which Bert affirmed, but also wisely noted, that we must also never forget that what makes Jesus Christ so beautiful and so pleasing and so worthy of our praise is that not only was he crucified for our sins, but that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he also rose from the dead, and that through his death he destroyed the one that who had power over death, that is the devil, Hebrews 2. And thus for us as Christians, death, it has been swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ. For death, it has no victory, and death, it has no sting. Therefore, you better believe, Christian, that you can leave here today on this Resurrection Sunday feeling good and uplifted and victorious and conquering and triumphant. Because for you, Christian, not only was your Lord and your God, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, but he is now also seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. However, church, 
you are likely going to go home today to your Easter meals and be joined by family members who are not in Christ, who do not know Jesus Christ and who doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or you are going to go to work tomorrow, or to school tomorrow, or to the gym tomorrow, or book club, or swim class, or toddler time, or wherever, and you are going to run into someone who is not a Christian, who does not love Jesus Christ, isn't victorious in Jesus Christ, and who doesn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you do, brother Christian, sister Christian, please remember that Jesus Christ, that he's not only your God who saved you, but he's also now your Lord whom you have wholeheartedly submitted to. And who said to his disciples in John chapter 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. For we have been called, church, as the children of God, to take this gospel message, to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ to a world who does not believe. And when we do this, church, we must keep in mind how Jesus responded to Thomas in our text this morning. For Jesus, even in the face of Thomas's unbelief, even in the face of Thomas's demands, was still gentle and patient with him. And thus, as Reverend Frank Scott put it, Jesus' response here gives the church a pattern for all times as to the manner in which we as a church body should deal with the troubled and doubting world. Therefore, church, as you go back into the world today, tomorrow, and this week, and you see your friends who do not know Jesus Christ, and you see your family who do not believe in the resurrection, and you see those who you love, who you desperately want to have come to saving faith in the Lord. Let me encourage you in this, Christian. Be patient and gentle with them, but not harsh. Be enduring and kind to them, but not condemning. Be long-suffering and loving to them, but not bitter. And simply continue to press on in lovingly sharing with them the greatest news that the world has ever received. For that is what they need more than anything else in the world, for they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus be faithful in that, Christian. Be constant in that, Christian. Labor and labor and labor in that, Christian. For that is what your Lord, your God, has commanded of you, to go into the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And we can do this, Christian, for we can be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because we know, Christian, without a shadow of a doubt, that in the Lord our labor is never in vain. For it will never, ever, ever be in vain, Christian, to lovingly share with others the greatest news that the world has ever received, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. For it is to share with the world the assurance that you have in the risen Savior, a Savior named Jesus Christ, who will give life to everyone who believes in his name. It is my prayer that we as a church family, we have our confidence in the resurrection, our hope of eternal life, and our love for Jesus Christ just swell all the day long. For we have a God who died for our sins according to the scripture and who was buried but who did not stay dead. For we have a God church who rose from the dead and thus since he, Jesus Christ, did it, so too can we. Thus let the victory that we now have in Christ propel us, church, to scatter gospel seed 
in every direction in which we turn. To share the gospel with our family. To share the resurrection with our co-workers. And to boldly preach Christ crucified to all who are still dead in their sins. And yet help us, Lord, to be gentle in this venture. To be persistent in this venture. Even long-suffering in this venture. For we know that it will not be in vain. For we know Jesus Christ, he wins in the end and that we have victory in him. Thus, thanks be to God now and forevermore for the victory that he has given us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, church. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord, that we set our minds and our hearts on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we heard earlier this morning at our sunrise service from Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, that I will not abandon your soul to Sheol or allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus Christ saw no corruption, for he crushed death rose from the grave, and now offers eternal life for those who believe in him. Father, strengthen our confidence and our belief in the resurrection this morning, and let it compel us, church, compel us as a church to go out and to share gospel seed with a world that desperately needs it. Father, we don't know how The seed comes up in the next morning. We don't know how it grows. We just know you are the one who does it. Father, let us be faithful in sharing the gospel with the world and to trust you to do your work. For we know that us sharing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it will not be in vain because we know that Jesus Christ wins and we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.